Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. We are continuing our series, an eight-week series entitled Truth Be Told. And this series is about life's big picture. And Jesus would reveal that through simple stories that we call parables. Jesus would use these simple stories to reveal his wisdom, to reveal the characteristics of his kingdom, and also the character of God. Amen? So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your presence. Father, thank you for worship. And Father, thank you for drawing us to yourself. God, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts, that you would reveal to us the things you want us to hear, the things you want us to perceive and to receive, Lord, the things you want us to apply. And so, God, would you be at work, Holy Spirit, would you be at work through our minds and hearts, through our fellowship, through your word, through your Holy Spirit? God, would your will be done here as it is in heaven? And Lord, throughout this week, as we walk with you, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this message is entitled, The Parable of the Ten Minas. The Parable of the Ten Minas, and we're going to be, I'll be reading to you from Luke chapter 19. The more I study this passage, the more I am impressed with how Jesus revealed much about God's kingdom about characteristics of his kingdom and the character of God in just one simple story. This story is rich. The story of the ten minas is a summary of human history and, and a summary of mankind's response to God. A summary of human history and mankind's response to God. Uh, let's read it together, or I'll read it to you in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. Let me pause for a moment. Jesus had just come from Jericho. Jericho, the first city they conquered when they marched around it seven times and the walls came tumbling down. Now it's a part of the nation of Israel. Jesus was there and Zacchaeus, the tax collector, saw him and he went to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus received him into his home, into his heart. He changed his life. He said, Lord, if I robbed anybody, I'll give back four times what I took from them. Jesus said, this day salvation has come to this house. Uh, so that, that's where he just came from. And now he's traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem and people are following him and people are listening to what he's saying. And people know about the messianic promises of the Old Testament. And they had assumed that the kingdom of God would appear immediately because here was Jesus on his way into Jerusalem. And if you, if you recall the sequence of events, it was about to be the Passover. And so while they were listening to this, he went to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now... 2,000 years later, that's not the same question that we have when we read this passage. Uh, we know what happened. Uh, we wonder what's going to happen. And so there's a lot of discussion that goes on at times about, you know, when will the end come? It's been 2,000 years. 
How much longer will it be? And there's lots of indicators in the Bible that, that people read and hold on to. You hear about signs. You know, people say, well, you can't really know the time exactly, but you can know the seasons. And so they say there are certain signs of the season. There may be wars and rumors of wars and famines. The difficulty with trying to pin down a date based on those is there have always been wars. There have always been famines. There has always been rumors of wars and earthquakes. And so how do you know when this is the war? They probably thought the end was coming after World War I or after World War II. How do you know this is the one? There are many earthquakes. There are many famines. How do you know this is the earthquake or the famine? Well, the answer is we don't. And so there is one sign that is unique from all the others. It has never happened before, and it will never happen again. But when it does, then the end will come. And it's found in Matthew chapter 24. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then, and then, the end will come. That's the one unique sign, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so it's good to look at the world in missionary perspective. How are we doing in terms of reaching the rest of the world? Have all the different people groups been reached? If we send people there, what constitutes a people group being reached? How do we know when that's complete? There are some people who take this very seriously. One of them, his name is Ralph Winter. He's the director of the U.S. Center for World Missions. And he has come up with a definition that I think is healthy and balanced. And that is, it's not enough just to send shortwave radios over Asia and say, okay, we reached Asia. It's not enough just to drop pamphlets out of the sky over an entire country. It's not enough to send one 10-day team into a place that is Buddhist or, or Muslim and say, okay, we reached that country. How you know when a country has been reached or when a people group has been reached is when there are disciples within that people group, they are growing and walking in their relationship with God, and they are helping other people grow and walk in their relationship with God. They're engaging their community, and they're reaching out. Once you begin to see that kind of multiplication happen within the people group by itself, and they become ascending church, then you can safely say that that people group has been reached. And so how are we doing? This is why our vision statement is to honor God, and to make disciples in Micronesia and beyond. We want to be a part of what God is doing on the earth. Amen? We want to be a part of what God is doing on the earth. The story of the ten minas is a summary of human history and our relationship with God. We're going to pick up the story in verse 12. Jesus said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country, to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. 
The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. Wow. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put the money on deposit so that when I came back, it could have collected with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now, I said earlier, the more I study this passage, the more I'm amazed at how Jesus revealed so much about the kingdom of God and the character of God in one simple story. The story of the ten minas is a summary of human history and our relationship with God. What would it take, think about it for a moment, what would it take for Jesus to give a summary of human history and all mankind's relationship with God, what would it take for him to give that summary 2,000 years ago? Think about it. You would have to know everything. You would have to transcend time. You would have to be the alpha and the omega. You would have to be the beginning and the end. The fact that Jesus could even tell this story revealed who he is. Even better than that, there's an amazing message that is hidden within this story that is for you. It's an amazing message that is for you. Let's take a closer look. This is the parable of the ten minas. Now, what in the world is a mina? A mina in ancient Near East countries, a kind of Israel around that region, was a unit of measure. It was also a denomination in currency. And to bring it into our context in modern day terms, a mina was worth about three months' salary. So let's try to convert that to dollars here today. Three months' salary. Let's say you're a government employee here on Guam. And you make, I don't know, 16, 1700 every paycheck. So you get paid twice a month, and let's just average that out, and let's say you make about 3300 a month. And a mina is worth three months' salary. So 3300 times three is... All you mathematicians. <laughs> it's, it's just about $10,000, a little short of $10,000. Now let me ask you this. What would you do if you had $10,000 in your hand, cash, 
$100 bills right now. $10,000. What would you do? <laughs> Pay off some credit cards? Buy a used car? Oh, somebody said tithe and offering? Okay, would you tithe from it? <laughs> In this story, the servants were given a specific task. The master said, put the money to work. Now, the implication is put the money to work for the master because he was going to come back and have them give an account to see what they had gained with the money that he had given them. So how would you feel if somebody here in church today came up to you and handed you $10,000 cash and said, I want you to put this to work. I want you to invest it. I want you to do business with this money. How would you feel? I sense mixed emotions. It's like, what is this? Is this a bribe? Some form of manipulation? What's the, what's the catch? Where's the fine print? I didn't sign anything. What's this all about? Let's just assume there's no bribe. Let's assume it's straight up. It's good. $10,000. How do you feel about that? Let me ask you this. What would it say about that, that person's relationship toward you? What would it say about their relationship toward you? I heard trust. Yes. Jesus uses this story to tell us not just about mankind. He uses this story to tell us something about God. He uses this story to reveal a very important point. And here's the point. It's only one point in today's message. This is the point. God wants to have a partnership with you. God wants to have a partnership with you. In this story, the king is very clear about his invitation. Here's $10,000. Put it to work. No questions. He's clear. The only question now is, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? The 10 minas are a test. And as you've heard me say before, the number 10 in the Bible represents testing. It's symbolic of testing. You will actually see the word or the number 10 with the word testing in places in the Bible where this principle is illustrated. For example, um, some of you have heard this before, but just go ahead and answer out loud. Um, how many plagues were there in Egypt? Ten. Now, I could have said, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? But you're more familiar with the plagues. There were ten. He tested Pharaoh's heart ten times. How many commandments are there in the Bible? Ten. Each commandment is a test of your relationships, your relationship with God and your relationship with people. Now, you might not know the answer to some of these next questions, but I'll give you a hint. There's a pattern. Okay. Daniel said, test us for how many days by not eating the king's rich food? How many lepers were healed to test who would give thanks? Thanks. 
Tithing, tithing a tenth is a test to see if God is first. The story of the ten minas is about a test. God has given you everything you have, everything. The question now is what will you do with it? God invites you to partner with him. How will you respond? In this story, as I said, Jesus reveals mankind's response to God. And in this story, there are three responses to God's invitation to partner with him. Let's look at the last response first. The last response was rebellion. And these were his foes. These were the people that went out and said, we do not want this man to rule over us. Why did they hate the king? You know, years ago, I was asked to take over a Bible study that was already in existence. And uh, when I heard about where they were meeting, I thought, you know, I don't think that's kind of the best venue for having a Bible study. And so I changed the location. That was my first executive order as Bible study leader. (laughs) Little did I know I was stepping into some stuff. (laughs) by making the change. Right off the bat, in first decision, I lost like three people from the Bible study because I made a change. And they had already been there and kind of had a thing going. And they didn't like the fact that somebody else came in and said, we're doing it different now. Change will often test our hearts. How do we respond to change? Change is hard. Oftentimes, people rebel for one primary reason, and that is pride. Pride says, I'm number one. Nobody else tells me what to do. It's often an issue of control, and we fear losing control. And so people rebel. They resort to the kingdom of self. I can trust myself. I've been doing it all my life. I don't have to worry about what anybody else is going to decide, what they're going to do. I can take care of myself. In the story of the ten minas, mankind sends out a delegation saying, we do not want God to rule over us. So they make laws like no talking to God in public school, no prayer. Do not honor God as creator. We will teach atheistic evolution. We do not want him to rule over us. The delegation is active and speaking. The message is loud and clear. That's the first group of people. The second group of people respond not with rebellion, but with judgment. They judge God to be harsh, so they want to work for him. They don't know who God is. They think they know, but they don't. A lot of people think God is just like this big cop in the sky and he just wants to rain on my party and tell me to cut it out. (laughs) They imagine God to be like this strict and demanding dictator. I mean, if you knew somebody like that, would you want to be in relationship with them? No, you'd just get as far away as you can. You know, it's interesting, our perception of God kind of follows a progression. 
most people are kind of more aware of the judgment of God. You know, growing up here on Guam, how many of you grew up on Guam? Or in the Philippines? Okay, lots of us. And because of our culture and because of our background, you know, the Catholic Church, and this is no knock on the Catholic Church, but there's a couple things the Catholic Church does which are consistent with the Bible. Number one, it teaches the fear of God. Number two, it teaches that the Bible is the Word of God. You're not encouraged to read it, but it is the Word of God. (laughs) Okay, and number three, it teaches that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever been to like a Buddhist or a Muslim country, you ever try talking to somebody and you say to them, do you know about Jesus? And you, they, got, they got this blank look in their eye, like, what? Our church has gone to Myanmar three times on missions trips. And I've talked to people, I tell you, I've talked to people who have literally never heard the name Jesus until I asked them, And they're just looking at, who are you talking about? I don't know anything. So we're really talking from ground zero. But when you're on Guam, this is a friendly, warm place (laughs) to be able to talk about a relationship with God. Most people I talk to, they know about Jesus. They know what he did for them. They just don't know that there's a personal response that you have to make in light of what you know. There's an application. So it makes Guam a very easy place to be able to share the Lord. But many people grow up with just that basic understanding that God is, you know, the fear of God. And that's not wrong. There is a place for that. Doesn't Proverbs say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is an element in the Christian life for all of us where we should tremble before the Lord. Because he is high and lifted up, and he is mighty, and he is all-powerful. But that's not all of God. That's just one part of who he is. There's another part of God that many of us come into experience with later in life when we have an encounter with God, and we discover that God loves you, and that God wants to bless you, and that when you walk with him, there is reward. And there is a goodness, and there is a covering, and a provision, and a protection that you never knew before. And God touches your heart, and he wins your heart because of his love. Sometimes we can kind of take that kind of exclusively. We kind of separate out the judgment of God and the blessing of God, and we get off into these extremes, maybe way over here, something called prosperity gospel. And God's all good. He wants to bless you. He wants you to have a comfortable life. He wants you to have your wish list and what you want. You just need to name it and claim it. Now, we don't want to get isolated into one. There is something there that's truth. There's a nugget there. But that's not all of God. If you read in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, and the people who are heroes of the faith, Some of them were like King David, King Solomon, there is Daniel, just amazing people, men that are heads of state, walking in the higher echelons of society, being used of God with their powerful influence. And we look at them and go, wow, I'd like to be like Daniel one day. 
I would. But if you read the rest of Hebrews 11, there are other people in that same list of heroes of the faith who died horrible deaths. They were martyrs for their faith, burned at the stake, even sawn in two. And yet they are also considered heroes of the faith, people who walked with God. How do we reconcile these differences? And so there's the judgment of God, there's the reward and the blessing and the love of God. But I want to share with you, there's one other area that has nothing to do with our response, has nothing to do with what we do or don't do. It's this element in the relationship with God where there's intimacy and there's rest because of what Jesus did for us. And it's not about, you know, how I perform and what did I earn and what is my standing or what is my status. It's because of what Jesus did and because he's in my life, I can rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so there is this progression that happens, it's kind of like a revelation in our relationship with God. We become more and more aware of all the attributes of God. And he's all of these things simultaneously. There are times when I'm in fear and trembling, I do not want to sin. I do not want to go off the straight and narrow path because I have been disciplined by the Lord. Hebrews said, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You know, we discipline our kids because we love them. When my kids were little and I would discipline them, I would say, you know, the reason we're doing this is because I care about you. You can't go running across the road without looking. You've got to learn the certain lessons that are for your well-being. If another kid does it, and it's not my kid, you know, I don't give them the same kind of attention. But if it's my child, I need to make sure that they're living life in a way that I know is going to be good for them. So, there's a progression that happens in our relationship with God. And so, for those of us who know the blessing, the reward, the grace of God, there is a desire, there is is a response of thankfulness. And so, the guy who had the mina, he multiplied it into 10. Imagine what it took for him to do that. To take... $10,000 and go to work. Every day, wake up and go to work so that he could multiply it into 10. Is that somebody who wakes up each morning grumbling, oh, I I gotta do this? Are they gonna be very productive or effective? No. This is somebody who wanted to work. They were thankful for the opportunity that they had been given. Anybody ever been out of work one month, three months, six months, a year? struggling to keep the lights on at the house. You know how that feels? You know what that does to your relationships? You know what it does to your self-image? You know, it's so good just to be thankful. I have a job. (laughs) You know, and every day, God has given us resources, and we can be thankful for what God has given us, things that we can use for him. Amen? When I was 20 years old, I had just come to know the Lord. And I was going to school at the University of Hawaii, and I had financial problems. I had been rebelling from God at that point in my life, in that season. 
and the Lord used the circumstance to break me of my independence from God. And I came to the Lord and I said, God, I know I had turned my back on you. I said, but I need you now. That was my way of apologizing. That was my uninformed way of confession and repentance. That was it. It was natural. It was real. But I tell you, God did something in that moment. And there was a hope and there was a strength that rose up in me. And a year later, I looked back on my life and God had provided for me to go to school in one of the most expensive states in the U.S., and provided for tuition and housing and food and a car. And I looked back on that, and all of a sudden I had this revelation. Oh my gosh, what they said is real. God really does love me. And I tell you, it changed my whole attitude. I'd been running and rebelling from God. Now I began to turn toward him. Any Bible study, any Christian church service I could go to, I was just soaking it up like a sponge. You see the difference it makes in attitude when there is a thankfulness and a gratefulness because God loves you? It's all based on his love. But that other category of intimacy where there's rest, it's based on a revelation of who we are in Christ. You are forgiven and you're accepted and he has cleansed you. I know it's hard for you to, some of you to hear this. I hope it'll have a place to land in your heart. But if you've received the Holy Spirit, you are now holy in the innermost part of your being. He has cleansed you and he has removed the sinful nature from you. Colossians 2.11. He did a removal of the sinful nature from your innermost being. You're a new person. And so this last part of intimacy and rest in this progressive revelation of who we are in Christ, it, it comes through an experience with God, reading his word and the Holy Spirit helping you to understand the significance of verses like Colossians 2.11 where he's done a removal of your sinful nature. And so now you're at this place where you don't have to strive. You don't have to work. You can just rest knowing that God is your friend and you have his favor. The Bible says that spiritually we're seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. Just imagine that. The Bible says you are seated with Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. So imagine you're in Christ. You're seated at the right hand of God. Just picture yourself seated there. And I want you to answer this question, who is at your left? Who is at your left? And that intimacy and that relationship and that access and that privilege is what God wants to be your daily experience. He wants you to be able to go to work or go into that meeting or enter into that conversation with somebody knowing that God is there with you and he's for you and his favor is upon you and you can have a confidence and you can have a peace and you can have a rest knowing God's presence, the presence of God. And so the challenge today, the question is, You've been given all the resources that you have. God is very clear. He's inviting you to be in a partnership with him. The question is, what are you going to do with what you have? What are you going to do with what you have? Let's pray.
while your heads are closed, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to invite you once again just to ask God, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? So I want you to just kind of get comfortable with God and just be still and just listen with the ears of your innermost being. Just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if the Lord has highlighted something that he wants you to focus on, I want to give you a moment to respond to him. Lord, thank you for what you're doing here among us. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for speaking to us. Lord, I thank you because that's an indicator of what you want to do in us and through us. Thank you, God, for this invitation, this partnership to have with you. And Lord, you see those hearts here today that are responding in trust and saying, yes, Lord. And God, I ask that you would seal what you've done in their hearts, in their minds. And Lord, I ask that you would bless what you're doing in their hearts and what you're about to do. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to encourage and to provide and to protect for each one of your people here today as they respond to you. If you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to address maybe a few other people in the audience here this morning as you're hearing me talk about a relationship with God. That has piqued your interest in fact, maybe even before you got here, you'd already been thinking about your relationship with God. You've been sensing that God's been trying to get your attention. And if that describes you, and you've never made a formal decision to invite God into your life, if you've never made a conscious choice to say, yes, today, God, I'm making a decision to open my life up to you. I want you to be involved in my life. If, you, if that sounds like you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God by simply talking to him and just expressing your heart, expressing this choice that you're making. The Bible calls that prayer. I'm just going to pray out loud and invite you to hitchhike on my words. God will hear you. Okay, let's pray. God, I'm here today. Lord, I know you've been getting my attention. Lord, I sense you're speaking to me. And today I'm making a decision to respond. Today I'm making a choice to open up to you. And so God, I open my life. And I ask you to come in and be a part of my life. God, I know there are things that have been hurtful to myself and others. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for those things I've said or done. 
I thank you for Jesus and his death on the cross. And Father, today I'm inviting Jesus by your spirit to come into my life and I receive your forgiveness. And if you're praying this prayer right now, I just want you to take a moment to really receive him and his forgiveness. It's for you. Let him come in and just take away the guilt, the shame. Let him wash it away. Father, thank you for Jesus and his work on the cross. Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Jesus, I receive your spirit now, and I ask you to change me and make me the kind of person you want me to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.